We are now in a sermon series on the renewal of work. And this is actually the eighth uh, in that sermon series. Um, in the last sermon, uh, which was on Women's Day, uh, we saw that the role that the Bible has for women is so much more liberating and so much more beautiful than any cultural stereotype of the female gender. And the Bible calls us to celebrate womanhood as nothing less than the very image of God. We're going to focus on men this week. Last week, the sermon was titled Women at Work. But this week, today, the sermon is titled Men at Home. Last week, we saw how the Bible rejects the cultural stereotype of a woman's role at work. And this week, I'm hoping to help us see how the Bible uh, challenges the cultural stereotype of men and their calling at home. Now, work that happens at home is work as well. It's not that God only looks at work that happens out there in, in, the, in our professions as work. Everything that we do is, is, is work. And, and so men, brace yourselves. The text for this morning is um, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. I've requested Kia to read it out for us. It's going to come up for us on the slide as well. Uh, Kia, if you can help us uh, read it, please. Thank you. Thank you, Anand. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. This is God's word. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, Kia. I'd like to draw three things for us from the passage. First, what men and women are both called to do. Second, what men are uniquely called to do. And third, a true understanding of work and biblical manhood. Three things, what men and women are both called to do, what men are uniquely called to do, and a true understanding of work and biblical manhood. So let's drive into the first thing, which is what men men and women are both called to do. 
one of the most common cultural stereotypes of gender in, in many societies, maybe in all societies, is that men are supposed to work outside and women are supposed to, supposed to take care of the home. Many cultures, I would say even all, almost all cultures, see these as mutually exclusive roles. Men work only outside the home. They, they don't need to lift a finger inside the home. And women, they're supposed to work only inside the home. They, they, they better not go out. In this wrong stereotype, a man's responsibility begins when he steps out of home and goes to work. And it finishes the moment he comes back home. He has no responsibility at home. Men, especially if you're married, haven't we all brought, brought into this stereotype at least a little bit, perhaps, uh, perhaps not consciously, but at a subconscious level, isn't this a sense of entitlement we, we often tend to have? Is this an unspoken expectation from marriage that we have? Think about men, married men. How, how, how many times after a long and hard day at office, have we walked home with a sense of completion and entitlement? Completion, because believe we believe my work is done. I've been very productive. It's been a good, fruitful day at work. I'm tired. Now I'm going to go home and I'm going to rest. That's completion. Entitlement, I've worked really hard. I deserve my wife to cook a nice dinner for me while I put up, put my feet up and, and watch TV. And uh, after dinner, my wife owes me great sex because I've really worked hard and I've, I've, I've provided for her. Married men, haven't we brought into this wrong cultural stereotype? Is this biblical? Was this God's creation design when he created mankind in his own image when he created us? male and female. We saw last week, and we're going to revisit it a little bit this week, that men and women are both called to work both inside the home and outside the home. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed both of them, Adam and Eve. And God said to both of them, man and woman, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Be fruitful and multiply is obviously a call to the home and family. Rule over the earth is a call to work outside the home. So we see clearly that men and women are both called to work both inside and outside the home. But somewhere along the way, even good Christian men have, have brought into this false stereotype, have bought into this false stereotype that their primary work is outside the home. So many men have abandoned their responsibility, their God-given responsibility inside the home. That's the first thing that I wanted to establish today, that in God's creation design, men and women are both called to work both inside and outside the home. And you're probably thinking, hmm, that's, that's interesting. That's helpful. I wish somebody had told my husband about this a little before. 
Uh, and so, so you're basically telling me that men should do more work at home. So you're basically telling me that this sermon is all about how men should help with the dishes a lot more than they do. Not, not quite. This is more than just doing the dishes that we're going to be talking about today. So if you're not talking about men doing more of the dishes, what exactly are men supposed to do at home? What is the role of men at home? And that brings us to the second thing I wanted to, I'd like to establish for us today. What men are uniquely called to do. What men are uniquely called to do. One of the things that we saw in the last sermon is that we must embrace both gender equality and gender distinction. Men and women are equal, absolutely equal. Male and female, we were made in God's image. But even though we are equal, men and women are different. There are some gender distinctions that we cannot ignore or overcome. You know, how a metrosexual a man may be or how tender he may be or, 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 or how soft he may be, whatever way you decide to call it. And how much ever a man may desire to help his wife, he just cannot breastfeed an infant. Just not going to happen. And so, so we must submit to God creating us male and female, both equal, but both distinct. So that said, what is it that men are uniquely called to do? The answer is there in the passage we're looking at this morning. The portion of scripture we read this morning talked about the fall, about how Mr. Adam and Mrs. Eve messed up. God put them in a beautiful and perfect world, a world where there was no sin and no shame. A world where men and women had a perfect relationship with God and a perfect relationship with each other. And God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and they were invited to enjoy the fruit of all the trees of the garden. God gave it all to them except one. There was just this one tree that they were supposed to avoid and yet they disobeyed God and ate of the tree, of that tree. And by their sin, they ruined God's beautiful world. I'd like to pose two questions for us from this passage. The first question, who sinned first? Was it Adam or was it Eve? Who is responsible? Who who sinned first, Adam or Eve? Look at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, And it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Well, if you were brought up in a Christian home and and went to Sunday school, etc., I'm sure you've debated this at some point of time. Now, the, the good news is we don't have to debate it because the Bible answers the question conclusively. And, and it's a surprising answer. We can find the answer in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Hang on, hang on. Before you accuse the Bible of being sexist, 
please let me finish. I told you I had two questions from the passage. I've just done with the first question. Here's the second question. Who did God hold primarily responsible for the first sin and the fall? We have established from what Paul wrote in the Bible in 1 Timothy that it was Eve who sinned first. We've established that. But who did God hold responsible for the sin and for the disobedience and the failure? Stay with me on this, please. Was God aware of what's happening in what was happening in the Garden of Eden? Of course he was. He was not just aware when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit and sin. He, he, he was aware that that's exactly what they were going to do even before he created them. He had absolute foreknowledge. But look at how God handled the situation. Soon after the fall, God walks into the garden and this is what happened. I'm going to just read that conversation again for us. Verse 8 onwards. It'll come up for us on screen. And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he, that's Adam, said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now, clearly God knows that it was Eve who sent first, that she was the one who took the fruit. And God comes into the garden and who does he call out to? Who who do you think God should have called out to? He should have called out to Eve because she was the one who started it. But that's not what he does. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? God knew perfectly well that it was Eve who sinned first, but he is assigning the primary responsibility on Adam and not Eve. In verse 9, when God asked Adam, where are you? Do you think the question rose because God couldn't find Adam? God had no idea where this man was hiding. Of course not. God knew where Adam was. The question, where are you, was not a question of Adam's location. It was a question of his responsibility. God held Adam to primary responsibility for the fall. So what does this teach us? about man's unique role? What does this teach us about man's unique calling? It is a man's primary and unique calling and responsibility to bring God's word and God's order and God's governance to his home. It is the man's unique and primary calling and responsibility to bring God's word and God's order and God's governance to his home. No, this sermon is not about men doing more of the dishes, which they should do, by the way. Uh, Both work inside and outside is supposed to be shared equally. But man's primary responsibility, calling, is to bring God's word into the household. So this sermon is all about getting men, myself first, to own up 
to this primary responsibility and unique calling of bringing God's word and God's order and God's governance into his home. This is the man's unique call to bring God's word to bear upon his home. One day, Christ shall return and we will all stand before him. We will all give account. Husbands, Christ will hold us primarily accountable for the spiritual flourishing of our wives and children. In God's eyes, this is as important as our career and as us providing economically for our family. God has uniquely and undeniably called men to the primary calling and responsibility of bringing God's word and God's order into our homes. Men and women are equal in every way, absolutely no doubts about it. Men and women are both called to work within the home and outside the home. But men are uniquely called to bring God's word and God's order into the home. This is also why the Bible uh, calls only men to eldership in the church. This is also why only men are called to do authoritative and doctrinal preaching. It's not that women are completely excluded from preaching, not at all. But but all authoritative and doctrinal preaching, teaching is to be done by the men. And that's the second thing I wanted to draw out for us. What men are uniquely called to. Before I move to the third and the last thing I want to draw for us, one word of encouragement to single women. If you're thinking of marriage, please, please do consider what I'm about to share today. A good husband should inspire you to greater faith and obedience to Jesus Christ. His life, the man that you're thinking about, the man that you're considering is a potential life partner for marriage. This man and his life, his life of faith should inspire you. His understanding of God's word and more than that, his obedience to God's word should inspire you. Can he lead you in God's word? If If you're not the man you're thinking about doesn't meet this bar, I hope you'll do the right thing. That brings us to the last thing I'd like to talk about today. A true understanding of work and manhood. A true understanding of work and manhood. Uh, The slide should change, please. Thank you. Married men, I'm, I'm about to offer you two choices. And I'm honestly asking you to consider which of these two is right now more important to you. First, having a good flourishing career and providing for all the physical needs and all the needs of your wife and children. Second, being strongly rooted in God's word and God's plans and leading your wife and children in it. These two choices are not mutually exclusive. Man, you don't get to do Pick just one of the two. All of us as men, uh, if you're married, are called to do both of them. So the question is, which of these two responsibilities have we been prioritizing all these years? Which of these responsibilities is functionally and practically in day-to-day life 
more important to you, significantly more important to you. Men, in which of these two things have you been pouring in the best of your creative energies? In which of these two things have you been pouring in the hardest of your labor? And which of these two things have you been pouring yourselves into? Don't hear me wrong. There is no hierarchy between the two. Work is also God's call upon men. And so we're called as men to pour ourselves into both equally. This is important. Stay with me here, please. One of the ways the world dilutes biblical manhood is by exaggerating the calling to provide economic leadership and by neglecting the responsibility to provide spiritual leadership. One of the ways the world dilutes biblical manhood is by exaggerating the call to provide economic leadership and by neglecting the responsibility to provide spiritual leadership. Are we treating our work, our God-given responsibility to care for, to protect, to provide for our wife and children as the primary and absolute responsibility? And have we been neglecting our call to provide spiritual leadership? Think about it this way. There are only two things that can motivate us. Love or pride and fear. Very strong motivations. What's motivating you? When you think about about these two things, think about your career and, and providing financially and in other ways for your family. How much of a love motivation and a fear motivation is involved there? Think about providing spiritual leadership. How much of a love motivation are we experiencing in that? And how much for fear motivation? Let me me unpack this. Let's take fear, for example. Now, one of the things that makes us work like crazy is fear. One of the things that make us work in an overdrive is fear. And we've experienced this in the pandemic as we've seen in every interview that we've done so far. The fear of job loss, the fear of not being as good as we were before, the fear of pay cuts, the fear of not being relevant anymore. No, my boss is not seeing me. Is he going to forget that I even exist? Are they suddenly going to find out I'm redundant and and they don't need me anymore? And so all these fears are driving us to to work. Similarly, look at love. The love for our careers, the love for success. What what about providing spiritual leadership? Where is the love motivation there? Fear motivation is never good. But but do we really fear the consequences? We don't provide spiritual leadership to the wife and children that God has graciously given us. Think about it. If if you're married and male, think about this. Over the last six months, how have we provided spiritual leadership to our respective wives? Hear me out on this. Let me assure you that being a godly husband 
is not going to make you a loser in your career. No way. Being a godly husband is not going to make you a loser in your career. But focusing on our career too much could make us a loser in our marriage. Being a godly husband involves being a good worker. And so you're not going to lose out on that at all. But we can idolize work and forget a God-given responsibility in, in marriage. So biblically, according to God's creation mandate, both men and women are called to share the responsibility both inside and outside the home. But men have a unique responsibility to bring God's word and God's order into our homes. Where do you stand in the economic leadership versus versus the spiritual leadership combined? Are are you overweight on, on one? Just one more thing. I want us to think about the, the larger ramifications of what I'm talking about. When men in a society, when men in any society focus only on providing economic leadership to women, that society will inevitably descend to unhealthy patriarchy. Because the one who controls the money controls the power. And the one with the power will abuse it. That's patriarchy, men dominating women. So in any society where men are focused only on economic leadership, that society is going to descend to patriarchy, men dominating the women. On the other hand, when men in a society focus on providing Christ-like spiritual leadership to women, the men will become Christ-like servants because Christ-like leadership absolutely involves the emptying of the self. Single women, if, if you'll indulge me, one more word of advice, please. One more word. This is very important. If you desire, by extension of what I just said, if you desire a man only for his success or for his career, he's going to try and dominate you. On the other hand, if you desire a man, if you love a man for his Christ-like spiritual leadership, he's going to love you and serve you and cherish you and give himself for you. So take your pick. But remember, what you choose is what you get. That's not going to change. If you pick a man for his good looks and for his successful career, that's okay. But tomorrow, don't expect him to be a Christ-like husband to you because that's not what you chose him for. Right? What we, that's not going to happen. So what, what we choose is, is what we get. So we need to be clear. And as, as women, if you're thinking about marriage, Think about this. Hey, again, let me be clear. This is not mutually exclusive. This is not mutually exclusive. Godly men do not have to be suckers at work or losers at work. Not at all. In fact, godly men are the only one who can be truly successful, sustainable success, real success. Only godly men can, can we do that, can do that. A couple of more things before we close and I'll close in less than five minutes. So what does it look like practically 
for a man to live up to his primary calling and responsibility to bring God's word and God's order into their home. What, what does that look like? What does that look like? It's all good, but tell me, help me see what, what am I supposed to do? What, what's that going to look like? Does this mean uh, that every evening at 6 p.m. or 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. sharp, the husband will sit his wife and children down and do a Bible study? Is that, what, is that only what it means? Uh, does it mean that men who can teach well or men who can preach well make good and godly husbands? No, there's, there's a lot more than that. Biblical manhood is not just about the ability to teach God's word. Biblical manhood is about the ability to live God's word. Christ didn't come here just to teach. Sure, he taught. But is that all he did? No. He laid down his life for the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The primary call on a man is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. So men, if we don't don't read God's word, if we don't meditate and pray through God's word daily or, or frequently or consistently, how on earth are we going to live God's word? I hope I've succeeded in making all married men feel lousy. And I think I, I preached really well today because as a man and as a husband, I'm feeling pretty lousy myself right now. I don't think I've, I've lived a life that, that measures up to what I've been preaching. And so, so I'm, I'm feeling pretty lousy as a, as a husband, as, as a father, as a, as a biblical man right now. And that's the problem with us men. We don't turn to Christ when we're doing well and successful. We turn to Christ only when we feel terrible about ourselves. And now that I've managed to make all of you men and and myself as a man feel feel terrible and and lousy about ourselves and what what miserable failures we are, finally, I think as men, we're, we're ready to talk about Christ. Finally, we're beginning to feel the need for Christ. And so if God's primary calling and responsibility, God's unique calling and responsibility on a man is to bring God's word and God's order and God's governance into the home, then Adam was a failure. He was a failure. He messed it up. He messed it up for all men and women. Which is why God sent a second Adam. Jesus Christ, to set right everything that the first Adam failed in. The Bible often refers to Jesus Christ as the second Adam because this second Adam is the true and better biblical male. He came to set right what the first Adam messed up. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 come up for us on the screen. For if Because of one man's, that's Adam's, trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness 
reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. He is the second Adam. Jesus did not become man. In his incarnation, Jesus chose the male gender. Jesus did not become man so that men can continue to live in the image and the failure of the first Adam. No, Jesus became man. He came as a second Adam so that by his work on the cross, we can be empowered, not just forgiven of our sins, not just forgiven of our failings as men, but also empowered to overcome our failings and live the life of biblical manhood that you and I as men are supposed, we're created and redeemed to live. And so all we need to do this morning is to look to Christ, to cry out to him, to ask him, to seek him, to knock on his door. Christ has not called us to be inadequate or unsuccessful or as failures in our careers, in our work. No, he is the one who instituted work. But God, in God's creation, design, work and marriage and relationships are all one package, all designed to bring glory to God. We don't have to see the two as separate things. Christ brings them all together. And we just need to look at Christ Jesus, to ask him, to humble ourselves. Even that two-minute prayer daily, God, help me grow in this. There is no condemnation. And even as much as I myself personally feel, I feel I've failed so much. I know there is hope. I'm going to be calling on the name of the Lord. I'm going to be calling on the name of Jesus in the rest of our time together and after. I would encourage you to do that as well. Let me pray. Father, we worship you, Lord. We thank you that you made us in God's image, male and female. You made us equal but distinct. And uh, even, Lord, through the series as we've been reflecting on and considering your word and in um, sitting under your teaching, I pray the Holy Spirit will come and apply this deep in every one of our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would speak to both the men and the women, Lord, in this call and everybody else who might listen to these messages and, and stir us to biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, Lord. Thank you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.